Hello, welcome to Stump, Death and Taxes. This is Mary Pat Campbell, also known as Meep. Yesterday, I went on a little walk next to the building I work in, in Hartford, Connecticut. It was in the ancient burying ground in Hartford. It's at the corner of Gold and Main Street. Uh, just along Main Street, and there are a bunch of very old graves there. I've been walking past it, and I, you know, for over a decade now, I haven't really gone inside the old cemetery. Um, but the gate was open, it was a lovely day, and hey, I needed some pictures <laughs> of headstones for something I had in mind for Memorial Day, but you'll be seeing that soon enough. I'll be talking about that a, a little later in this episode. But let me talk about the ancient burying ground. Uh, this is in Hartford. In Hartford, Connecticut, has been around since the 1600s. A bunch of people came in, I think, around the 1630s, and they didn't start burying in this area per se. Uh, there's some place that's not too far off where the old state house is, and that's evidently where they started burying people. But then they had this plot of land. Now it's right next to a church, but the church didn't own this uh, bit of land. It was owned by the civic authorities, supposedly. And over the years, uh, from about 1640 to the early 1800s, about 6,000 people were buried there. And if you look at pictures now, there's definitely not 6,000 headstones. So you may be wondering what the heck, uh, how, what's going on here? Well, there's a couple different things going on. Um, part of this is perpetual burial is not uh, a thing of all times in Western culture. After, you know, several generations had passed and the people who knew you and kind of your headstone fell apart and that kind of thing, um, you know, they would reuse land. Uh, so that's something that's been around that bodies get moved and often graves would get gone. Uh, and that is what happened to a lot of the people who had been buried in the original land. Also, it was a much larger plot than it is now. Uh, so that's part of what happened is a lot of the people who had originally been buried in the ancient burying ground, uh, their remains got moved elsewhere or and the headstones. And you'll see the quality of some of the headstones. Some of them are still in good shape, even some of the very old ones. And of course, it depends on what they were made of, how well they've lasted. Um, some of those were are in very bad shape now and some, you know, just fall apart, get destroyed and that sort of thing and, and are not replaced because the people who would have remembered you are no longer around. And um, I'm Catholic, and of course, in Catholic traditions, we pray for the dead, uh, but in Protestant traditions, many of them, they don't. So it's, you know, it just remains. It's not something that you worry about. And that's what happens sometimes. So that's, you know, that's what happened in the cemetery. But I did go walking around, and there are some really interesting looking headstones. So I found the website 
for the ancient burying ground. And as always, I'll put links to this in the episode notes. So I want to read a little bit about these headstones. And one of the things, and I love it, that there is, of course, some nonprofit that upkeeps the the graves and all of that. There's the Ancient Burying Ground Association, and they have a downloadable database of photographs of the various headstones and markers that are there. And it's not just, I mean, there's memorial stones and stuff like that, uh, monuments. Um, it's not just headstones. And it's you can download it as a CSV, which I absolutely did. And I'll be talking about one of the things because I was looking for something in particular and uh, they've made a lovely usable database. It's pretty simple. It has death dates on there, but not birth dates. And I'll get into why that was important to me. So that's kind of annoying. Um, But there are certain styles of headstones that you'll see keep repeating. There's these angel's head uh, headstones and these death head gravestones. So let me read from the death's head gravestones page. So images began to appear on Connecticut gravestones late in the 1600s. Stones from this period into the early 1700s evolved from crudely simple heads into a fully realized forbidding grimacing skull with hollow eyes, arched bat-like wings, and sometimes surrounding decoration. Known among modern gravestone scholars as death's heads, these are believed to reflect early Puritans' grim attitude toward human mortality, emphasizing impending unavoidable death and the subsequent decay of the physical body. Gravestones were the primary form of sculpture produced in early New England. The carvers were folk artists, each of whom started with the same symbolic image, then rendered in It rendered it in his own personal distinctive style. The style of the lettering, the decorative work of the tympanum, and along the edges and bottoms of stones, pinwheels, clovers, hearts, diamonds, scallops, vines, and more, also could reflect the work of a particular carver. The size and quality of the carving on a stone also reflected the financial prosperity and social status of the deceased. The style of an individual carver could develop and change over the course of his career. The work of more than 40 different carvers is represented in the ancient burying ground. And I noticed, you know, there was certain similarities for some of these headstones, but it was more among the angels' heads, uh, headstones that I noticed a lot of similarities. So we've got the death's head ones, which are pretty grim. Then after the death's head ones come the angel's head gravestones. So beginning around 1730, so I'm quoting again from a different page, death's heads became more human in appearance, more sophisticated in design and execution. The fearsome expression gradually softened into a sober, serene, even smiling one. The bat wings morphed into celestial, often upswept ones. These angels' heads are believed to symbolize the soul's flight to heaven, emphasizing the blissful life everlasting that awaited the righteous. This change has been attributed to the religious revival of the 1730s and 1740s, known as the Great Awakening, which focused on salvation of the soul, 
the possibility of a joyful afterlife and on emotional expression of personal spiritual development. So I did take uh, some pictures of these gravestones and it was kind of interesting seeing there, you know, there's certain similarities in the design of these gravestones, um, but also differences. So I did go around. Um, there were gravestones from a variety of periods from the early 1600s into the 1800s, often remarking, of course, the age at which people died. And as an actuary, of course, I am interested in seeing the different ages at which people died. Now, knowing that a lot of bodies got removed, I know that it's not necessarily a representative sample of those who are left because it's only a few dozen who are left in the ancient burying ground currently, uh, not the thousands that originally had been buried. So, uh, you know, that makes it very uh, biased as well. It's not a very large sample, but there was a different actuary who wrote an article for Contingency Magazine uh, back in, let's see, uh, back in July, August, 2018. This was written by Kevin Wolf, a member of the American Academy of Actuaries and a fellow of the Society of Actuaries, um, who's an independent consultant. And the title of this piece was A Long Stroll Through Avoca Cemetery, an Actuarial Study, and a Few Meditations and Meanderings. So uh, this is a cemetery that is about eight miles from Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, that he had been going to. And he took statistics about uh, from the headstones in the cemetery male and female and also unknown sex um, when the death occurred uh, age at death uh, also noted if married or unmarried uh, at death and compared against life expectancy of the time and he put it into three periods whether the death occurred before 1900 uh, between 1900 and 1949 and 1950 and after to do a little bit of um, kind of a an informal uh, mortality study of this particular cemetery and he made some graphs comparing the Avoca or Avoca, or I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce the particular place name, cemetery, um, against the mortality uh, curve from 2014 uh, so that you can see what that was like. Uh, and you do need to have a certain number of deaths so that you can do a full mortality curve, as it were. It does get to be quite difficult. So when I was looking at the cemetery and there's only, you know, some dozens of headstones that I'm looking at, I did not see, I, I'm just trying to remember, I don't remember seeing infant headstones. I did see several headstones of people who died in their 20s and 30s. I saw several headstones of people who died in their 60s and in their 80s. Um, and that was at all different years. Remember, this is reaching from the 1600s into the early 1800s. So it stopped in like around 1810 or so, uh, the dates that I was looking at. Um, so, you know, this was a wide variety of ages, but there were certain ages I did not see. 
And this reminds me, when I was a child, I would go around cemeteries in South Carolina with my father, and we'd be writing things down. Now, part of this was we were looking for uh we were looking for graves with specific names on it. So this was a little bit of a genealogy um, study. And we were looking up some history. We were looking for um, some Civil War history related items, but we actually screwed some of that up because there is a marker that's supposed to go at the foot of a grave, but you have to know which direction the grave is oriented in. And we made a wrong assumption about that. It turned out in one of the cemeteries we were looking at, and we found that out later. And it would have been better that we actually drew a sketch of the cemetery rather than just, you know, writing down the text. Uh, so that was kind of, you know, um, a mess up on our part. Um, oh, well. Um, but I have been to lots of cemeteries over the years, and I've liked looking and thinking about, you know, you see married couples often buried together and sometimes you see child graves, um, but sometimes you don't. Uh, it depends in different ages. There are situations, and I often, of course, watch his historical documentaries uh, of situations where there are epidemics and you get an entire family felled by an epidemic disease that comes through. Uh, so, you, families of all ages, and you can see that in some local cemeteries in different places I've been, like in England and around America. We've not been used to such kind of epidemics um, raging through families recently. I mean, Spanish flu was the last epidemic that was like that in the U.S. Uh, there were several epidemics like that in the 19th century in the U.S. and, of course, in prior centuries throughout the world that would occur, but you did not necessarily get headstones, or I should say you did not necessarily get headstones that could last centuries. As I mentioned before, a lot of graves, it, you can often see you'd have limestone markers and other ones that from the acidic rain have gotten wasted away, as you know, eroded away uh, from the elements versus others with harder stones that have been able to weather the years uh, that are still around, or ones where it was inside buildings. Um, and, you know, those are not as common in the U.S. Um, within Kevin Wolf's article, he has several pictures that he had taken himself, and he also marks that you have different kinds of markers. He does mention, uh, you know, markers for those who were, you know, died of stillbirths um, and, and different readable gravestones and interesting creative gravestones, but also different special markers that you get for military service and religious or affili affiliation markers. You may have seen Masonic symbols on some uh, gravestones before. Um, he mentioned one stone had two nonspecific sectarian orders sketched on it, a three-link chain, which were symbols of order of the Odd Fellows for Abel Bristol, from uh, who lived 1884 to 1972, and Daughters of Rebecca for Eveline Bristol, 1887 to 1969. The International Order of Odd Fellows began in the 18th century and was composed of people believing in a supreme being, 
Friendship, love, and truth are basic guidelines we need to follow in our daily lives. Those three basic guidelines were symbolized by the chain links. The odd fellows were the male members, while Rebecca's were the female members. And then, yes, as I mentioned, Masonic symbols. And then, you know, you often will see a variety of symbols on, uh, on grave markers. But going back to the downloadable database, there were a variety of uh, headstones that had inscriptions on them that I wanted to search for because I was looking for instances of drowning deaths because of a post that is coming up. I had taken a picture of one headstone that mentioned death by drowning. And so in this spreadsheet, there are 1,191 records that are listed and each one has a link to a photograph and it comes with the information of the photograph file name, the map location number, the marker name, the marker type. And so uh, the marker types only come in a few types. Um, the categories are headstone, footstone, tablestone, null. There's only 79 of nulls. So that just means there's no information there. Plaques, monument, and obelisks. There's 12 obelisks in the database. So I'll have to check those out later. Um, first name, last name, death date, but no birth date. Uh, but they do put the entire inscription in if they have that. And then they will have uh, the image. Let's see. And I'm sorry, this is not working well, uh, image file details. So a lot of kind of techie details. So I filtered on uh, headstones that had drowning mentioned in the inscription and it came back with eight different ones. So let me read a few. I'm not going to read all eight of them. So the first one, in memory of John Sargent, son of Mr. Jacob and Mrs. Oliver Sargent, who was unfortunately drowned while bathing in Connecticut River, July 23rd, A.D. 1802, aged 11 years. On him reflect ye young and gay, and thus a solemn warning take, that though this hour ye sport and play, the next to God your flight may take. Uh, the next one, I'm trying to remember, I think this might be the one I took a picture of, in memory of Captain Joseph Watson, who was drowned in Connecticut River on the 15th May, A.D. 1803, in the 29th year of his age. Let's see, Mr. John Foote, who was drowned in Connecticut River. Everybody gets drowned in Connecticut River on the 15th May, A.D. 1803, aged 40 years. Hmm. Hmm, I think these guys were on the same ship. Uh, okay, because they both drowned in the Connecticut River, AD 1803, May 15th. So, yeah. Oh, here's an older one. Okay, the monument stands sacred to the memory of Mr. William Proctor, who was accidentally drowned June Yi 2, AD 1788, in Yi, it's the 23rd year of his age. And then we have another one drowned in the glory of his years and left his mate to drown herself in tears. Dr. Thomas Langrell of Hartford departed his life as above on June the 15th, A.D. 1757, aged 29 years. 
And those are the ones. So some of these look like duplicate entries. Uh, so there, there may be a thousand some entries. That just means there's more than one photo of the same item. Um, so yes, drowning in the river in the summer uh, when you're out swimming or you're out on a boat. Um, it's dangerous. So that's always my warning every summer. It's the time for drowning. Watch out. Be careful. And don't drink and swim. That's it. <laughs> Happy Memorial Day. That's been Stump. Death and Taxes. And maybe go, uh, go to a cemetery and see what you find there. Oh,